We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There is only one question that matters. Do you swear on your life that what you say is true? My father told me my life would be blessed with good fortune. I'm married. entered our home. He attacked me. The accusation is false. I am telling the truth. The truth does not matter. There is only the power of men. This should be settled quietly. I'm innocent! I request a duel to the death. If you lose, your wife will suffer dire consequences. One of us has lied. Let us let God decide. You do not believe me. I am risking my life for you. You are risking my life so you can save your bride. to be burned alive I will not be silent For this week's 
bonus review. We are headed back to the late 1300s in medieval France to tell the story of The Last Duel. This movie is directed by Sir Ridley Scott. It is starring Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, Ben Affleck, and Alex Lothar. It is adapted from the 2004 book The Last Duel, a true story of trial by combat in medieval France, which was written by Eric Yeager. The script was adapted by Nicole Hall of Center, Matt Ben Affleck, and Matt Damon, their first collaborative project since Goodwill Hunting. And from the top, Oz, I think you'll be okay with this. I'm going to pronounce these characters' names now and go to saying the actors going forward. So this way, I don't think any of you want to hear me mispronounce these French names for the rest of the podcast. So I think that's good. Matt Damon stars as Jean de Carreau a knight who challenges his friend and squire, Jacques Legree, there we go. played by Adam Driver, three for three, to a judicial duel after Carouge's wife, Lady Marguerite, played by Jodie Comer, accuses Legree of sexual assault. It also stars Ben Affleck in a supporting role, Count Pierre de Alençon. Ooh, there we go. And the king in this world, Played by Alex Lothar, King Charles VI. Okay, with that out the way, Oz, my first question to you, a lawyer by day, do you wish that this is how all legal proceedings were fought out and decided that there would be far <laughs> less research time and all you have to do is make a 20-minute argument once and then they go fight it out to the death to decide who wins and who loses? Do you wish that this is how all legal conflicts were decided? I, I'm thinking of my my criminal defense clients and I don't think many of them would do all that well in trial by combat. So I'm thinking, this, I'm thinking we've evolved in a positive way here. So then I ask instead... What did you think of The Last Jewel overall? I love it. The short answer is I thought it was great. I think it's one of the best movies of the year, and I think it does an incredibly smart thing in the way it plays with memory. It is, it's hardly the first movie to tell a story from different perspectives and layer in what happened differently from each character's perspective. But I think it's done with, with unique insight here in part because it's a little bit more subtle than some of these, you know, post Rashomon movies can be. And structurally, we have three chapters here. The first chapter is the story as told from the Matt Damon character perspective. The second is the story as told from the Adam Driver character perspective. And the third and final, and I think most objectively true of the perspectives is the, which is emphasized in the film. They leave, the chapters are literally called the truth according to this character or the truth according to the next character. And they leave the word the truth lingering on the screen for a mm -hmm. few seconds when we get to the Marguerite Jodie Comer section. Um, so then the third section is, of course, her perspective on everything that happened. And I think what's most interesting about it, and I think what will make this movie grow in esteem over the years, are the the subtle differentiations between the chapters. So, you know, you may you may see a combat scene from the Damon character perspective where he's the the hero going off into war. You see the same scene from the driver perspective, and he's sort of an ass who gets them into a fight that need not happen yet at that point. And I think it's the way that it deals with a very difficult subject matter that brings a lot of brilliance to it. I don't want to delve too deep into spoilers, though, frankly, this is not a movie that's particularly spoilerable because the movie starts with the duel and ends with the duel and tells the story of everything that happened beforehand. But there are, are interesting decisions made on what scenes are shown from multiple characters' perspectives and also from which scenes are omitted 
from other characters' perspectives. So if there's a scene from the driver perspective where the Marguerite character is somewhat flirty with him and no corresponding scene from her perspective, what are we meant to to read into that? This film was written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, the first thing they've written together since they won Oscars for Good Will Hunting. It's also written by Nicole Holofcener, who is a wonderful writer who wrote Can You Ever Forgive Me, which was one of the best movies a couple of years ago. And I think they create a nice team and balance of different perspectives. I think you get a very uh, male perspective from Damon and Affleck without dealing, without delving into some of the things that Damon has has said in interviews lately that are not ideal. Um, get to that in a second. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think Hall of Center makes for a, a good balance point. And I think it's clear that what what's happened is... The, the men essentially wrote the male perspectives. Hall of Center essentially wrote the female perspective. And then they worked together to figure out how the interplay should work. And I think it makes for a very, very effective structure. It's too bad they mismarketed this thing so badly. Well, I think this was marketed as like, come see Ben and Matt. Come see, you know, Kylo Ren, Academy Award nominees left and right. And unfortunately, if Michael Myers is killing people on the same weekend that your movie comes out, that's not enough to make people go see your movie. Um, let's let's save the the actual performance of this movie for later on. Uh, I want to talk about all the positives before we talk about the negatives because I was so blown away by Ridley Scott, and I don't think I'll be working when I'm his age. And here he is in his eighties, and he's putting together masterpieces like this. You mentioned the narrative structure and how this is three separate versions of the same story from three different perspectives in the wrong hands this is repetitive it's hokey you feel like i gotta go through this again because now we gotta see from this person's perspective and what he's able to do is actually give you three separate movies it felt like for the first like 90 minutes of this of this movie maybe closer to two hours of this movie and you really do feel like you're watching it three different times and not the same time over and over again and then it leads to the last duel which i had no idea this was gonna end i didn't read the 2004 book i haven't checked the stat head for you know mid medieval times french duel so i had no <laughs> idea who was gonna come out victorious here so i was riveted by the last 30 minutes not knowing who was going to you know end up losing the duel so i support no spoilers just yet um, yeah, I was I was just blown away by Ridley Scott, and I thought he he did an incredible job with this movie. You mentioned Matt Damon, so specifically about the script, there is a clear message trying to be like driven home. This is trying to be a a prestige medieval Me Too movie, and I actually go back to Matt Damon's comments during his press tour for Stillwater. Yeah, that's what I'm really referring to. Yeah, so apparently his daughter just convinced him, like, months ago, to stop saying a certain word. Good for you, but I feel like a lot of us had that eureka moment a while ago. And maybe I'm I'm projecting, I don't mean to cast judgment on Matt Damon, although I guess I kind of am. This movie feels like it's something, it's trying to drive home a lesson that we've all already learned. It feels very elementary in its messaging. And it's why I, all of the heavy handedness of the third act that I, while it's, it's very well done, I don't feel like I learned anything new or any type of, of overall message or parable that they're trying to tell. I don't feel like it was anything I haven't already seen. What did you think? I actually, I, I thought if not 
poignant, profound. I, I okay. Well, I get I get what you're saying that it's two very bro dudes writing these very bro dude characters. It, it, what is everyone if not the hero of their own story? And I think it's interesting how Damon sets himself as almost this Homeric. Here, the Damon character is set by Damon as almost this Homeric hero. The universe is it puts upon him. All of these unfair slights happen to him, despite his own heroism in battle, despite the fact that from his own perspective, he treats his woman very nicely. He treats her well. He worries about her on Prima Nocte. There's just there's a lot of uh, elements there where he views himself as truly the hero of this story. And you get the same sort of perspective from Driver. And I, I, I get it. There is something sort of elementary and, and basic. This is not a, a subtle indie film dealing with the nuances of sexual politics. And I think part of that is this is a two and a half hour sword and sandals epic. And I think part of the mistake, and I know we'll get to the performance of how this was presented, is I personally, these are people I love. I love Ridley Scott. I like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. I love Nicole Holocenter. I love Driver. I love Comer. This is like my catnip. And even I and even I was like, holy fuck, do I really want to go spend two and a half hours on a fucking medieval (laughs) rape movie? No. No, I don't. And then I saw it and I realized the the trailers, all these cross-cutting of crosses on her face in these miserable, like portentous, like BBC style shots. It's not what the movie is. The movie is way more fun. The movie is, and I know it's like the medieval rape movie fun is a difficult tone to balance. Oh, there's but a lot actually of nails to it. it. Yeah. It's very funny at times. It's also, there was a way that they could have cut the trailer for this thing that would make it look like Kingdom of Heaven in 1380s France. And instead they cut a trailer that makes it look like a woman is locked in a room for two and a half hours while men debate about if she was raped or not. And while that element of the movie exists, the movie is so, so much more than that. And it's sort of a bummer that, um, you know, nobody is seeing this thing on the big screen. So I actually had a question about the narrative structure and how you see the story through three different perspectives. I know I've seen this before. I can't think of a movie though, and I honestly have seen it a lot in television, and the one that's coming to mind is an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where Uncle Phil sues Will and Carlton for having a pool party, and you get to see a reenactment of the events, one side through Uncle Phil's and one side through Will and Carlton's, and it's it's extreme both ways. And the entire time watching this movie while I was enjoying the story, I kept thinking, like, have I ever seen anything like this? Have you seen? I know you're going to have something ready for me, but what's the the most recent example, the most popular example you can think of? The most famous example is Rashomon, the Kurosawa movie of, okay. of you know, what it, it's sort of the, the progenitors. There's some very bad ones. There's a movie called Vanishing Point with Matthew Fox from a couple years ago, uh, showing different perspectives on a terrorist attack. It's sort of this dopey action movie. But there's a lot of things that play with this um, in in subtle ways. I think a good example of a scene that does something similar is in 500 Days of Summer. There you go. Okay. There's, 500 Days of Summer. There's the moment where he finally sees things from the Zoe Deschanel perspective. And all of a sudden, the moments that he think are is a cute flirtation, the audience learns are actually her being like, Jesus Christ, dude. And you, you see when you get the more objective view of what's actually happening in their story, as opposed to just his view, um, you know, the areas that that he thought he was charming and she was over it. 
and you can see far more clearly why the end of the relationship was coming. There are a lot of movies though that that touch on this or give new perspective later. Um, Gone Girl does some of this sort of stuff. There, there, it's 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 not an uncommon device. I think it's uncommon to use it for the entire movie. A lot of times, like Five Hundred Days of Summer, you see things that do it for you know one or two scenes, and here you get at the you get at the whole basically the whole plot. The only parts of this movie that are filmed from an objective lens, as opposed to a lens that is emphasizing the per- character perspective of either the Damon driver or Comer character, are in the beginning and the end, the dual parts. And I think part of that is a choice by Scott. That those are scenes that don't happen in, you know, bedchambers. They're scenes that don't happen on conversations on horseback. Those are things that a whole bunch of people watched. That an entire arena of people watched this duel and all throughout the streets outside of the the duel, it's filled with people. So there's more truth objectively to what happened there and less reliance on perspective because there are so many witnesses and yet like as you mentioned in bold letters the truth according to this movie is only what jody cover says i just want to talk about a couple performances real quick uh ben affleck you texted when you left your showing of the movie that you've seen the best performance of the year and i and the, and, and i said the best performance and the worst and performance of the, the year and it's all, of the year. all in one so that's what i put it he's either going to win the oscar or the razzie there's no in between I, he's going for it here and while i'll admit matt damon took me a minute for me to not see like matt damon playing dress up there was a portion of the beginning battles where i expected him to yell go socks before he <laughs> rode on his horse into into each duel, each fight. And yet Ben Affleck disappeared almost immediately because of the way he's playing this, this Count Pierre. Uh, it's very flamboyant. It's over the top. He's trying to be a medieval asshole and is like not in the Boston kind of way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's telling Adam Driver to take his pants off just randomly. Uh, it, it's a very interesting performance from Ben Affleck. I'll say uh, the, it doesn't necessarily make sense. It's almost breathtakingly modern in the way it's it's sort of like Van Wilder as a as a medieval count. And it is so compelling. I every second that Affleck is on screen is absolutely electric. There, there's a part where he uses a certain four letter word, which is one of the few that yes. I'm not ever going to use on this <laughs> podcast, where he says one word and somehow manages a, a four letter word you can guess in the context of the type of movie we're talking about. He makes a a, a, a seven course banquet out of his line reading of this word. It is hilarious every time you know he driver will be trying to have a serious conversation with him and he'll just be, there'll be like four <laughs> women in his bed and he's like bro come on in take off your pants let's go yeah and it is it is it should not work and it does and it's great i don't know if it's necessarily good acting but god damn is it fun to watch yeah and adam driver just consistently remains good we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The perspectives of the rape scene. I feel like we have to... like It's in the marketing, or at least the synopsis of this movie, that you know Jodie Comer alleges that... Adam Driver rapes her and this movie makes no like did he or didn't he they show the rape scene from two different perspectives both Adam Driver's and then Jodie Comer's and look I I have read a couple of reviews saying like once you see it once you don't need her perspective to see it again to think it's horrible to think it's awful because like he did it, which is why I don't know. What do you think it was excessive the way that it's that it's done in this movie? I've seen some people say that. Look, I I get that this is the the sort of movie that certainly needs to carry a, a proverbial trigger warning or whatever else. And if if a movie that is going to depict rape is not for you, don't don't see this movie. Yeah, don't I get see that. this movie. Um, I don't agree even one percent because part of Driver's point his his defense is that she resisted the, the he uses the term the proper amount this guy is playing an absolute hound dog he is a scoundrel in this movie who has bedded by the movie makes clear dozens if not hundreds of women many of them likely married and to him there's a presentational element of oh no i can't go through with this that then is once things start everything is fine i i think there's certainly a a much to be said about if his character's perspective here is sort of acknowledging that he's actually raped a whole bunch of women through his conquest. And it seems that most of the women in town, even in his perspective story, are sort of over him because he's already he's already slept with a lot of them. And 
Comer is the one who who stands up to it. I, I do think the perspectives are quite different because there's a playful element to it from the driver perspective to what happens. Her resisting comes off as a little bit more of like a you know romantic play fighting, something you'd see in a Connery Bond movie, perhaps. Whereas from her perspective, it's far more brutal. I, I'll say nothing about the rape scenes are filmed in like a, a titillating way. There's no there's no graphic nudity no, yeah. or anything like that. It's not it's not that sort of thing. It's just a very bad thing happening to a character that you I, I think I think most will have come to care a good deal about by the time you get to you get to that point in her perspective story. But I, I do think the different perspective is is really important to what the movie is doing because it needs to show how at least in his own mind if not in reality the driver character can justify his his conduct and he's also the way that like you said the way that it's it's framed both perspectives you're seeing how he's seeing what Ben Affleck is. He's seeing what the count is and it's like, "Well, I'm not that. I'm actually doing this for love. I don't just have four women at once while my pregnant wife goes to bed. Like I'm, I'm doing this because I have feelings for this woman, so it's justified. And then, like, goes to confession the next day, and then uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm clean of this sin going forward. Uh, yeah, there's the, the Jodie Comer part. Uh, just the last thing I'll say before we get to scores and spoilers. The Jodie Comer part, like you do, see a lot of the stereotypical tropes that come up when all of this happens like i mentioned the decision making white men um in the actual court hearings the other women in the story that are saying like well what did you do that made him do that that are playing the their victim blaming her throughout the movie um or at least during her perspective of it uh there's i mean you want to talk about different perspectives seeing how matt damon when you see his side of it when she brings up the allegation, she's much less emotional about it. And then he rushes to her rescue. And then from her perspective, how crushed she is when she gives the allegation and how much pushback he gives at first. And then it's almost as if it's less about, sure, I'm there for you and more about, you know, on behalf of myself, I have to do this. Yeah, it's a really powerful story. So just one one point I want to respond to, which is that, yes, this movie is a little bit on the nose, but the scope of the production is relevant when considering these things. So you and I are the sort of people who were super excited to see Promising Young Woman, which is a movie that is not made for the masses. It mm-hmm. debuted at Sundance. It was picked up. It got some traction. It made some money as it went into Oscar season. But that's not a movie that that... Joe Schmo goes to see at the box office. This is a movie starring two major movie stars, one indie darling and one girl who's in the midst of a breakout it girl thing in Jodie Comer from one of our greatest living directors who is a best director winner who has made movies that are by not a best director winner, actually, who's a four time nominee for best director who should be a winner, um, who who has directed some of the greatest, most revered movies in American pop culture over the last 50 years. And, you know, Alien, Gladiator, these are movies that are a cultural shorthand, especially for men. And for men who, like us, are in their 30s, this is a 
this is a revered filmmaker. You hear Gladiator, you say Gladiator to someone our age, and there's an almost Pavlovian response of like masculine glee at this. So for this director with these stars to tell this sort of story on a hundred plus million dollar budget, beautiful sets, incredible action sequences, every production value that you could want in a major blockbuster movie, that carries extra weight. This is a movie that was intended, and obviously it, it failed at the box office for a lot of reasons, but this is a movie that was intended to deliver these sorts of messages in a way that is easy to be consumed by the masses, by the folks who couldn't give a damn about what the Oscar nominees are in a given year or what people like me think about movies. And I think that is really important. And I think understanding that this is a mass tentpole movie in construction and what it delivers for me alleviates some of the concerns that yes we've seen this story before because this movie's made for everybody and everybody has not seen this movie before we think that you know queer representation in cinema is no big deal because you know we saw brokeback mountain mm -hmm. we've seen dozens of movies about gay characters over the years it's a big deal when there's a gay character in a superhero movie because for the level of film goer who only gets out to the things that make $300 million or more at the domestic box office doesn't see gay characters in movies. And I think this was an intended delivery device to try to take some of these themes in a way that is approachable and understandable to the masses. And the masses just didn't fucking show up. So I guess my only counter, although it's, I don't even think it's a counterpoint because I, I do largely agree with what you're, what you're trying to say like that is a devastating commentary about our society. If yes. a story like this is enlightening anybody, yes. It, so I guess that is what you're saying. That 100%. we're so we're still so far behind that the general public, like Ben and Matt, still need stories like this to tell them to believe women when they accuse people of allegations like this. People are mad online that Q in No Time to Die is now overtly gay. There isn't even a gay scene. He just has a date with a man that's scheduled that Bond fucks up in the movie. And people are mad online. I just think that, you know, adjusting perspective for what the middle is right now in where views are. And obviously it's warped by certain extremism, um, but perspective on what the middle is and what what the average American consumes. I, I think we are sometimes misguided because you and I are, are deep in the weeds here and I may be far crazier than you on all this stuff but you know you you you're I think your number one movie last year was a documentary called time which is having a criterion collection release like <laughs> like three weeks from now a movie that nobody we're, saw yeah <laughs> we're, we're I mean we are we're almost too educated uh, in film and the language of film to talk about what the average film goer sees Sometimes I'm trying to be as I write about movies, I'm trying to be more aware of the ways that my own like masturbatory film wonkness um, <laughs> diff like pushes me away from a, a normal person perspective. And I think that this is a movie that is designed to inception these ideas to a normal person's perspective through the guise of a big hundred million dollar Ridley Scott sword and sandal movie. I still think it's disappointing. It's just the issue. I, whether we're more educated or not, I don't want to. Again, I don't I don't think I deserve credit for seeing more things. This should be a general principle that we've learned the last couple of years. I just it felt like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck had a eureka moment, decided, you know what, this will blow everybody's mind when this is a general principle that should already have been established a couple of years ago or couple all the, the entire time. 
that we've been thinking about this. Um, but that's a fair point. The general audiences don't haven't seen stories like this told. And we're honestly, we're just, I think maybe we're too far gone as a society and too fractured. I had someone on my the Facebook page for my website posting Breitbart articles about okay. this movie against it. And I just none of these people have seen the fucking movie, yeah. but you know, it must it must be like a cancel culture woke warrior thing or whatever the fuck the crazy person was talking about but you know this this person somehow came upon my review and decided to comment some like breitbart insanity about it and i just that that's where we're at as a society these days insanity facebook fake never (laughs) uh as you mentioned at the top though this is one of the more stronger movies overall that we that i know i've seen this year um what would your score be on letterboxd clear nine out of ten nine out of ten i'm at an eight out of ten um I, yeah, it's gonna be. This is gonna be a contender for me for one of the the best movies of the year for sure. Nobody saw it. We, we should have the discussion about how this is a one hundred million dollar budget, and as of right now, I checked it this morning. It's made eleven point three million dollars at the box office, and it's not available to stream. It's not available to premium rent at the moment. It's a Disney. It, it Fox, won't be for a while. Either. It's a Disney Fox movie. That was my biggest fear because I knew about it because we originally were just going to do The Last Duel as a bonus episode and we weren't going to discuss Dune until the following week. And you were like, should we just not do The Last Duel? I was like, really? I haven't seen it yet. I was looking forward to talking about this. And then, you know, then I saw it and yeah, I saw the runtime and was like, all right, two and a half hours for this. And then I saw it and was like, yeah, I like it, but... This really is meant to be watched at home, the way that people have been trained to watch movies over the last year and a half. What's your biggest fear about this movie doing so poorly? Like what this will mean for movies like this going forward? I don't want to read too much into what it means for the box office five years or 10 years from now. I will say it is it is a sign of the death of a studio. This is one of the very last movies that was greenlit by 20th Century Fox. I know there's a few zombie movies. I think Antlers, which comes out in a couple of weeks, is a is one. But this is one of the last big movies that came from Fox before the Disney acquisition. And it is in a way the end of an era because Disney is certainly not going to take these sort of swings and make nine figure movies about rape in the Middle Ages. Um, And that bums me out. I think what it does perhaps most show us is that this is not a movie where in the best of times, people under the age of 25 were going to show up. Just just never going to happen for this sort of thing. And adults, despite strong reviews, despite them doing a good publicity campaign in terms of getting the stars out there, everyone's been doing the morning talk shows, they did a big premiere at Venice, adults are not going to the movies right now. No Time to Die underperformed because adults are not going to the movies. And it just, it it makes me really, really scared that adults are never going back to the movies and that movies, theaters post-COVID are simply going to exist as delivery devices for movies that are aimed at people who are between the age of, I don't know, say 12 and 29. And everyone else is just going to wait for streaming. And this is a movie that I don't believe is going to be on streaming anytime soon because there's all sorts of complexities in the Fox deal. Like this movie is going to be on HBO Max before it ever gets back to the Disney Hulu 
infrastructure. So they have no they have no motivation to get it out any quicker because all they're doing is putting it on HBO Max and boosting their competitor service. So I think they'll wait as long as the windows allow, drop it on iTunes and Vudu and the like, and it'll show up on HBO Max like six months from now. And hopefully some folks will will see it then. But clearly nobody is seeing it in the theaters. And with all the stuff coming out in the next two or three weeks, it's probably gone for a lot of listeners now, which makes me very, very sad. This thing should be available for premium rental now. It should. It should be 20 bucks. You should be able to rent it on like Fandango or Voodoo or something like that immediately. And the fact that like movies being sold by movie stars, like that's that's the marketing of this movie. You're getting Matt and Ben. You're getting Kylo Ren. You're getting Villanelle from Killing Eve. You're getting Ridley fucking Scott. And the fact that this movie can't sell is... I think an indictment on the industry, unfortunately, in that in the same way that you mentioned that I don't know if we're ever going back. I think the James Bonds will like James Bond made money. You could say it underperformed, but relative to what other things did, it made money. And like the most unfortunate thing, you heard our thoughts last week, everybody, on Halloween Kills and Halloween Kills destroyed, literally killed at the box office compared to The Last Duel. And that is a very poorly done sequel with a very lazy script that doesn't have the prestige and just like the well done nature of the movie that we just discussed. Um, Yeah, I don't know if we're ever going back, unfortunately. I think in the same way that like the DVD is dead, not to say that people don't buy DVDs, but making factoring in DVD sales into your contract is dead. I think you're just going to have to start factoring in premium rentals into it. I think we spent a year and a half inside and people got used to it. You see it now with like people don't want to go back to the office there. We all got used to doing stuff at home. And as a result, that includes the way we watch movies which for you and me it's unfortunate but i think for society in general i i I have not had that internal conversation whether it's what's right or not you know i i gotta tell you as much as i love going to the movies it is this is i see before covid i would see a hundred movies in the theater every year i would go at least twice a week i'm a crazy person i love going to the movies and even for me Sitting through like 27 minutes of previews at an AMC is like waterboarding. Yeah. It's brutal. Not to mention they tack on a few commercials before it. And you're just, you're tired before you ever get to the movie. And the, the sort of mental investment, let alone for someone who has two kids, of going to a two and a half hour movie knowing that you have a half hour of previews before the movie starts. But you got to be careful because the day that you show up late is going to be the day that they only do like 17 minutes of previews and you miss the start of the movie. Oh, I actually think you're uh, safe. I'll be honest. Sorry to cut you off, but like <laughs> I saw Dune last night. Guess what time I got to the theater? Half hour after the time my movie was supposed to start. Because I knew. I, and you know what? When I sat down, I still had one more trailer to go. That's how AMC has been doing their movies. Lately. You know, it's, e- even Dune, I, I saw Dune with the masses at the AMC Lincoln Center on opening night. And the person next to me took out their fucking cell phone like two um, times during the movie and then his girlfriend took the phone away that's like as big a a theatrical based impressive thing it was the first public screening in manhattan on the big imax and even in those circumstances people cannot help themselves but to be assholes in the theater i I don't know how to fix that if a friend tells me i don't want to put up with sticky seats overpriced food and assholes who text and talk I, i i don't really have a comeback to that but it's better on the screen. It's true. 
But I don't have a comeback to someone who says, you know what? I have a really nice TV and a really nice sound system and everyone shuts the fuck up in my house. And when I put the movie on, I, I, I get it. I agree. I get it. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. One quick spoiler question, then we'll get out of here. So Matt Damon wins the duel. And my question to you is, would it have been a much darker yet truer ending had Adam Driver won the duel? Had the Adam Driver character won the duel in real life, I don't think this is a story that ever would have been Been told and passed down. So I get what you're saying. And I think thematically, it sort of does make sense with what the movie is doing. Yeah. Had the driver <laughs> character I thought it was one, going. yeah. But the story just, and I, I, I'll say, I didn't, I didn't, I knew very broadly that this was a real thing. And though I was a history major, 14th century French history is not my, not my <laughs> bailiwick. Um, so I, 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 I didn't know what happens from a historical perspective, but I, I just couldn't imagine that it existed. If the Damon character lost the duel, I figured the best case was like they kill each other. Um, for there to be some drama to it and she's allowed to walk on those grounds but and is left as sort of like a, a Hester Pym Hester Prim character uh, but otherwise I, I just I, I don't I, I don't I never had a moment in the movie where I thought that the driver character could straight up win the duel so I get where you're coming from I, I think it actually makes a lot of sense but there there was very little drama for me just because of you know, thinking broadly about why the story exists. Okay. I never got that far. I legitimately thought there was a world where I, maybe I guess that I, if I had thought about it enough, this movie probably doesn't get greenlit. And when you realize that it's originally it was written with the idea that Matt and Ben were going to be the two dueling characters, and this is going to be a Matt versus Ben perspective. Um, and then Ben opted to play a different role, which benefited the rest of us. Uh, as a viewing experience, um, I just thought if they were going to be dark with it and not write the weird way of saying this happy ending, maybe Adam Driver w- Adam Driver wins. She's burned at the stake, and that is our society being very realistic with it. half back then and how things have not changed since. Uh, you know, so anyway, it was just a thought at the end because I was I was very on the edge of my seat for the last. 15 20 minutes of this movie that battle scene is really really good yes ex- again the director of gladiator ridley scott <laughs> sir ridley it's, a, scott. It's, it's at least as good as anything in gladiator it's really really good i agree so that was our review of the last duel which is currently playing i guess we're in spoilers so you've probably already seen it um that was our review of the last duel uh if you dug the review please head over to iTunes and drop a five-star rating and a review. Uh, It really helps us get the show out and about to people that haven't seen the show yet or listened to the show yet. We would greatly appreciate it. And as always, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there and tune in next time for another final review.